great. So uh, next we'll talk about a bit of management. So uh, I think uh, particularly when I took my interviews uh, last year uh, and maybe, you know, COVID was a bit more sort of rife at that moment. Uh, I think it was it, it kind of got me sort of extra marks by saying, you know, considering a side room isolation, if, if you know, referring to trust protocol to see whether this is, you know, someone who needs to be isolated and swabbed uh, in the first instance as a sort of start to management. Um, and then going into oxygen therapy. So, so this is, I guess, a very important point of COPD uh, is, you know, knowing how much oxygen to give and how to give the oxygen. Uh, so normally we sort of titrate. So if they're using, if their arterial blood gas shows that they're a CO2 retainer, you want to target uh, 88 to 92%. Um, and it, you sometimes get sort of extra marks as well by knowing sort of what kind of, what, how to deliver the oxygen as well. So think about your Venturi masks uh, rather than normal face mask. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I know that there's a lot to this ox whole oxygen therapy in yeah, COPD. Exactly right. so. I think I think I'd say in an interview, I'd use the phrase I would deliver controlled oxygen therapy. And I'd say I'd target a um, oxygen saturation of 88 to 92 percent in the first instance, assuming it's an unknown patient. You don't have the blood gas yet. Once you've got the blood gas, you can take a view about, you know, their risk and the degree of hypoxia they can tolerate. Um, but yeah, so long as you make a, a sensible suggestion, then I'm, I'm sure that's fine. Um, always, yeah, good to good to mention Venturi mask, but I think, you know, controlled oxygen is probably um, probably an adequate term. Um, yep, so you've got oxygen therapy and then uh, I suppose the next thing you'd want to say is uh, the nebulizers uh, in treating the COP, uh, in relieving their symptoms as part of the management. So uh, normally we'd use salbutamol and ipratropium as kind of the first steps in, in someone with an acute exacerbation of COPD uh, delivered through nebulizers. And you can mention at this point uh, that you'd, you know, you'd use air driven nebs rather than oxygen. Uh, and again, that that shows sort of a higher level, uh, potentially high level understanding of of uh, managing COPD. Um, an, an extra very um, bonus point to mention would be if you're giving someone epitropium nebs, um, then you'd want to hold off any inhaler that they've got, which contains a long acting muscarinic antagonist, which is most of them, to be honest, because there's a theoretical risk that you can overdose them on LAMA if you do that. So just mention you hold off the Trimbo or, you know, Spiriva or whatever um, until they were off the NEBS. Um, another slight um, bugbear of mine is just only give them 2.5 of salbutamol, 2.5 milligrams. There's no need to ever give five milligrams, really. I think it just makes people excessively tachycardic and doesn't give any more bronchodilation really and it just means that you can spread it out a little bit so I think always 2.5 milligrams is the best option. Um, uh, so moving on so again thinking about uh, steroids which is another important part of uh, the management of infective exacerbation of COPD so I think normally you would start with oral if they've got an oral route so just to give them oral prednisolone 
for a five-day course, um, but in patients who are nil by mouth, I believe you can consider hydrocortisone as well. Is that is that right? Yeah, yeah. Yep. So we tend to say uh, thirty milligrams of prednisolone for a um, exacerbation of COPD. Um, yeah, ev everyone should get prednisolone, um, but again, as we said, there's probably going to be people who will, you know, respond to it more than others if they've got more of a asthma inflammatory phenotype. Um, but yeah, everyone should have it for the purposes of um, NT, definitely. Um, and it's important to mention as well that you think about antibiotics. So again, uh, going back to what your investigation and your history uh, and your examination showed um, at this point, if it's uh, sort of appropriate, uh, then it would be good to initiate antibiotics as well. Uh, and I think there are different trust guidelines as to what kind of antibiotics you'd use based on local sort of sensitivities. Uh, but I think, for, for instance, uh, I think in, yeah, so I, I would normally just say, so when I was preparing for my interviews, I would refer to, you know, the particular local trust policies when it, it came to antibiotics, because, you know, the, the, these might vary from region to region. Yeah, I, I agree. I'd say antibiotics as per local policy. Um, because, you know, you don't know where your examiners are going to be working, what their local um, policies are going to be, so better to be safe. I think from an IMT point of view, these are kind of the what you would definitely be expected to know. So sort of to recap, oxygen therapy, starting them on some nebulizers, uh, giving them some steroids and then considering some antibiotics if appropriate. Um, so, Tom, do you just want to talk about maybe sort of the higher level, uh, sort of finer points of, of managing COPD, for instance, if they weren't uh, responding to, to the, the management already started? Uh, yeah, so, um, I mean, the key, so the, the, the key the key thing is really just maximal bronchodilation, making sure they've got some steroid um, on board. You can obviously give back-to-back -back salbutamol nebs and really, you know, get them well bronchodilated. If despite optimal man medical management, you know, they're not improving, <clears throat> their gas exchange is worsening, the CO2 is going up and they've become acidotic, then we're in the um, territory of, you know, acute hypercapnic respiratory failure and acute NIV. Um, so what I would recommend is there's some really, really excellent uh, BTS guidelines on acute hypercapnic respiratory failure, which um, do to detail very accessibly um, and easily, you know, how NIV should be initiated in terms of settings, etc. Um, I think the key thing to mention from an interview point of view is whenever you're starting someone on NIV, there should be a very, very clear escalation plan um, in terms of if things don't improve with NIV. So the things which should be decided would be um, you know where should the NIV NIV be delivered? Obviously, this will vary from place to place. Some places have ward-based NIV, um, but would they be for escalation to NIV in a critical care environment um, for you know closer monitoring, arterial line, etc.? Would they be for invasive mechanical ventilation um, if they were to not improve on NIV? Um, and also should they be for resuscitation in the event of a cardiorespiratory arrest and those are all really really important things to set 
at the time you're initiating someone on, on NIV. Obviously, um, at the stage of you know early IMT, this would be a decision which you're not making alone, and you definitely want uh, senior input from. Um, but I think it's definitely worthwhile mentioning that these are the sort of things that you're considering, even at you know this early stage in your career, and you'd want to make uh, decisions and plans regarding that with support of a registrar or consultant, um, and make sure that that's all really clearly documented and let the examiners know that that's what you're thinking of, because that's what they'll be thinking of when they're doing their post-take ward round with you, and they'll want someone who's sorted things. And I suppose I just wanted to ask you, Tom, as well. So from an, from an IMT, IMT point of view, mm. uh, you know, escalating to a senior sort of, for example, for instance, medical registrar as yourself. So what are the kind of um, red flags that you think, uh, you know, you're, you would want an SHO to, to escalate, you know, someone to yourself? What, what are the kind of things specific to COPD? So, I mean, I think I'd want to know about anyone, anyone who's obviously in acute hypercapnic respiratory failure, anyone who's got an exacerbation of COPD and has a, got a high work of breathing and isn't, you know, settling with initial management, um, or anyone who's got, you know, any other overt complication of the um, of the exacerbation, for instance, a pneumothorax, or they've got a pneumonia as well, and they're maybe a bit septic on top of things. Those are the sort of things I, you know, definitely want to know about. But obviously, you know, anytime anyone is concerned, is a reason to see someone as well. And I think one thing to mention that's quite important for IMT interviews as well is is the patients most commonly will not get better uh, after you've initiated all the right kind of stuff because they want you to think about uh, escalation. They want to give you a chance to say, look, the patient's not responding or the patient's getting worse. Uh, they want the candidate to be able to identify that to show that they're a safe, they're going to be a safe SHO on the ward. Um, so, the, you know, something to keep in mind, uh, you know, always thinking about escalation uh, to, to senior sort of medical uh, staff, because um, things almost certainly in the interview will not improve, yeah, even though you've initiated all the right stuff. Yeah, um, I think. In, in interviews in general, the patient deteriorating isn't a reflection on on you at all. Um, I think you know also saying people you'd want to escalate to, so the medical registrar slash consultant, um, the critical care registrar slash consultant. Um, if there's a critical care outreach team as well, um, then you know it'd be useful to involve them in these sort of um, fictional scenarios. Um, I thought I'd just sort of end this little section by talking about some outpatient management just very quickly. Um, this won't be a big part of the interview, but they might come up as kind of a last kind of question uh, as a kind of follow up to the scenario. So I thought I'd just mention a few points here. Um, so, Tom, you mentioned about smoking cessation earlier, and that, that's number one on my list here. Uh, so obviously, uh, if there is a smoking cessation service or a smoking cessation, uh, you know, nurses that you can refer to, uh, that that's something that would get, definitely get you extra points if you mention because it's so sort of yeah. critical to to COPD I, management. I, I, I'd really include it in the management plan um, as well. So you know, any current smoker who comes in with an exacerbation of COPD, you should offer them nicotine replacement therapy um, as part of their treatment, really, and that's a 
you know, extra thing to mention if you've got time, but you know, last line of the clerking plan sort of thing. Um, and I guess on that sort of same line as, you know, referring to smoking cessation service, you might want to refer them as well if they're not already known to, to your locals of COPD respiratory nurse specialists who might be following them up in the community. Um, so so that'd be good to know as well. Uh, something that's quite basic but sort of quite easily forgotten is, is their inhaler technique. So whether or not they're taking their inhalers right, whether or not this might have contributed or triggered uh, their uh, admission to hospital. So making sure we've got that right. Um, and I guess when they're you know almost getting discharged, think, look, looking at their current inhaler regime, whether you know it might require up titrating or optimizing if if they've you know been having frequent exacerbations uh, over the last couple of uh, last couple of months. Um, I think something as an outside point that I kind of thought about that sometimes we do is think about chest physio as well. So you know, if they've got lots of secretions, uh, you know, they're sounding very bubbly, very chesty, you know, they've not got a very good cough. Uh, that's something that, you know, chest physio might be able to help with. So just expelling those secretions. Um, and this isn't necessarily, I suppose, specific to, to COPD, but but can be helpful for, for symptomatic relief uh, in that case. Um, and lastly, thinking about whether or not they'd be a candidate for, for long-term oxygen therapy or ambulatory home oxygen. Uh, I mean, these are broadly kind of things that I'm thinking about for, for someone uh, community based management of COPD. Was was there anything, Tom, that, that you wanted to add to this? Yeah, so I mean, um, starting someone on LTOT post exacerbation is always a bit of a grey area because they obviously need enough time to recover from the acute event. Um, but, you know, the standard BTS cutoffs are PO2 of less than 7.3 on air or less than 8 if they've got evidence of pulmonary hypertension or uh, polycythemia. Um, but, yes, yeah, so that's something you can consider if, you know, weeks down the line they're still not weaning off oxygen. Uh, ambulatory oxygen, like, almost never initiated from hospital, um, but something to consider, you know, as an outpatient. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I mean, that, that's most of it. You, so, Tom, do you want to give, maybe give a big quick recap on, on what you think are the most sort of pertinent points uh, in, in COPD? Uh... Yeah, sure. Um, so I think from, from the interview point of view, uh, the key things, if you have a scenario um, which is an exacerbation of COPD, are to um, ascertain the relevant bits of the history and, and examination that can confirm your diagnosis, ask focused things to exclude other important things, um, give some other differential diagnoses which you've excluded, um, and then target your um, examination and investigations to ruling out any complications of the exacerbation of COPD, managing things appropriately as per guidelines, and ensuring that you make uh, sensible escalation um plans in case of deterioration i think is the take home points great stuff all right thank you very much tom thank you very much